We're going to be in Exodus chapter 4 tonight. You can turn to Exodus 4 in your Bibles or in the pew Bibles that are in front of you, but the words will also be on the screen. So we're going to be in Exodus 4, reading verses 1 through 17. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Uh, so when was the last time uh, that you were completely aware of your own weaknesses, of your own shortcomings, perhaps even your own failures? There are so many moments in my life where I can look and identify with uh, my weakness, my failures, my shortcomings. It's kind of hard to choose which story I'm going to go with. But um, this, was one of, um, this was one of the most significant ones at a, a relatively young age. Uh, so for most of my life, I had been involved in some sports or another, and uh, I played uh, football, wrestling, and soccer when I was in high school. My junior year, I moved from Spokane, Washington to St. Louis, and the school that I moved to was quite a bit larger. Uh, my graduating class that I had, we had a class size of 1,000 students. So uh, you could imagine the, the sports or the athletics that we competed in, it was pretty top-notch, pretty top quality. So I made uh, the JV team of soccer my junior year, and I was a little bummed about that, but I thought for sure it was going to be a shoo-in, uh, and I was going to make the varsity team my senior year. And so it came uh, that fall. We had tryouts pretty early in August, and they were pretty grueling tryouts. In order to make the team, you had to be able to run a six-minute mile, which I was able to do. But the next slowest person after me ran a 530 mile. 
to make the team, you had to be able to juggle the ball 20 times in a row without it touching the ground, which I was able to do. But the next worst person after me was able to do it 30 times. And so forth and so forth. I could keep going on to where there were these really high standards to make the team, and I was... I was, you know, doing what I thought was needed, but at the end of the day, just wasn't good enough. And going into my senior year of high school, before school even started, I was cut from the soccer team. I was devastated. I had played soccer almost my whole life. I thought this was going to be a no-brainer. Uh, I didn't expect that I was going to do, you know, be the top scorer. I didn't expect to be a starter. I didn't expect any of those things, but I did expect to make the team. And I was so disappointed, and I was so let down. And then I know I got in my head, and then I started thinking through all kinds of things. Man, if you are not nearly as good at soccer as you thought, what else, you know, are you not nearly as good as you think you are? And I started really getting down on myself. This is the first time that I could easily recall looking at my own weakness and looking at my own failure and seeing where I went with that. The names that I began to call myself in my own head the thoughts that I began to have when I thought about my future, I just really questioned, was I going to be able to add up to anything? I'm sure in our lives, in our own stories, each and every single one of us can look back at a time uh, where we experienced failure. Whether it was not making a team, whether it was losing a job, perhaps being broken up with in a relationship, I imagine there's, there have been times in our lives where we have become intimately aware that we indeed are weak. We have these weaknesses. We have these struggles uh, that are present in our hearts and in our lives. And I think if we're really, really honest, one of the biggest places that we struggle with this is in the way that we view God. You see, I tend to believe I know my own failures and I know my own weaknesses more so than anybody else. And oftentimes, uh, I think about that, and if I think, man, I struggle caring for myself, I struggle loving myself at times, how much more so can a holy God, what does He think of me? What does He think of my weaknesses? What does He think of my failures? If you've ever asked yourself these questions, what does God think about my weakness, my failures, my struggles, the ways that I come up short, uh, there is actually great encouragement for you. You see, there's this chapter that comes uh, way later in, in the book of the Bible that we're not going to be totally looking at today, but it's Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, there's all these characters in Scripture, and it's one after another where they are being celebrated for their faith. But if you know their stories, the stories of Abraham, of Moses, uh, the stories of the prophets, the stories uh, of King David even, you know that their stories are filled with weakness. You know that their stories are filled with failure. We're going to be looking at one of those characters, one of those characters who is celebrated in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. His name is Moses. We're, we're familiar with him because we've been looking at the life of Moses for the last couple of weeks. And we're going to be looking at a conversation that he is having with God where he doesn't believe he is capable. He doesn't believe he is competent. He doesn't believe that he can do what God has called him to do. But here's the good news to Moses. 
Here's the good news to all of God's people, and that includes us here this evening. God knows your weakness, and he still calls you anyways. God knows your weakness, and he still calls you anyways. Specifically, he calls us to trust him, and he calls us to obey him. And those are going to be our two points this evening. We're going to look at the way God calls us to trust Him, and we're going to look at the way that God calls us to obey Him by looking at this argument that Moses has with God. So, as Abby just read, we're in Exodus chapter 4, and this first point, as we look at the way God calls us to trust Him, we're going to be looking primarily at verses 1 through 9. So again, we know, uh, as Mike preached two weeks ago, God has called Moses uh, to be uh, his redeemer, to be his representative amongst the people. He's given him a high calling. You are to go confront the most powerful man in the world, and you are to tell him that I notice the way that he has been mistreating my people and that he is to let my people go. Now, I don't care who you are, uh, this is actually a pretty hard calling. This would be a very challenging thing to do, let alone for an 80-year-old man who has lived in relative isolation uh, for the last 40 years of his life. This is a high calling. And so in chapters 3, and then now here in chapter 4, Moses has actually been arguing with God and presenting these objections, objections to why he's not the man for the job given him these objections to why it shouldn't actually be him. And so in these first verses, 1 through 9, God gives Moses signs that are supposed to help Moses trust him. You see, in Scripture, whenever we see this word sign, uh, and I'm going to use a little bit of theological language, but the signs that God gives us are always closely related to the thing that they signify. Let me say that in another way. The signs that Moses, uh, that God gives Moses, there's three of them, the staff, the leprosy, and the blood of, over the Nile, they actually have another message. There's a message both to the Egyptians and a personal message to Moses in each one of these signs. So I'm going to try to move kind of quickly, but I want you to see how uh, God is really tenderly speaking confidence into Moses that he would be able to trust God to be able to go and do what God is calling him to. So the first sign, the staff. Moses is saying, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, And God says, take your staff, throw it on the ground. I'm going to turn it into a serpent. Uh, And we're told pretty quickly, Moses sees this giant snake on the ground and immediately runs away in terror. And uh, I completely would relate to Moses if if there was a big snake on the stage, I certainly would not want to run to it. But then what's the very next thing God tells Moses to do? I want you to go pick it up by the tail. Now, again, I've never been much of a snake charmer myself, uh, but I have watched uh, enough nature shows to know if you are going to handle a snake, you don't grab it by the tail. If you grab it by the tail, a snake who is essentially a big, large muscle can easily turn around and still strike you. That's the worst place you can grab a snake. If you actually do need to get a hold of one, you grab it behind the neck. So the fact that there's this giant serpent, I believe it's a cobra. I'll give you my reasons here in a moment. Uh, There's a giant cobra in front of Moses, and he's called to go grab it by the tail. God's actually asking this man to do something incredibly courageous. God is actually asking Moses, even here, are you going to trust me? 
I am sovereign over the serpent. It will not harm you. And Moses obeys. He trusts and obeys. He picks up the snake, and sure enough, God subdues it and turns it back into his staff. Moses is to learn uh, that God is the one who can be trusted. Moses is to learn that God is the one who will give him the courage he needs to be obedient. Now, as far as Egypt goes, Moses would need to know that this sign actually has something to say to the Egyptians as well. See, here's the thing. Back in uh, ancient times, back in ancient Egypt, the pharaohs, oftentimes uh, the crown that they would wear over their head, uh, it would be in the shape of a cobra. Uh, Cobra, who was the the king of the snakes, it was the most powerful. The cobra was also represented by the the sun god Ra. And depending who we look at and what Egypt historian, but a lot of the pharaohs would say that they are the human incarnation of the god Ra. And so essentially, what God is showing Moses and what God is showing the Egyptians, uh, who Moses is called to go speak to, is this. I am sovereign over the crown. I am in control. Not Pharaoh, not the one who appears to be the most powerful man in the world. No, God, Yahweh, I am. Moses, you can trust me. The serpent, the crown, Pharaoh, has nothing on you if you go in my name. There's a lesson to Egypt and there's a lesson to Moses. And both of them both to Egypt and Moses, they should be learning that it is God that they are to trust. That's the first sign. The second sign is the leprosy. So I didn't know this, uh, but I do believe I had it confirmed in multiple sources. So I genuinely thought leprosy was a one very specific type of ailment that people struggled with in ancient times. And it turns out essentially whenever we see leprosy in Scripture, it's a generic term for skin diseases, and it can mean all kinds of different stuff. So uh, exactly what's going on here? Uh, We learned a few different things, though. Uh, Egypt at that time and then Egypt today, per capita, uh, per capita back at this time, it was the most densely populated area in the world because the Nile River was incredibly fertile and it was incredibly able to support life and support life for many, many people. Again, even today, it's not the most for sure, but it's very high ranking up there. Uh, Egypt is one of the most densely populated areas per capita in the world. So, when you get a lot of people together that are living close with one another, I believe I probably got sick when I went to L.A. and I was on a plane and close to people. Well, so with this idea, uh, we could read other places in the Old Testament. Uh, Sickness, specifically skin diseases, leprosy, it actually ran pretty rampant throughout Egypt. Uh, It threatened the culture. It threatened the people. And we see the sign, and the sign, you know, Moses puts his hand in his bosom, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous, and then it's healed. Uh, Again, as Moses is preparing to have to go and confront the Egyptians, well, again, it should be nothing but confidence. One of the things the Egyptians fear One of the things the Egyptians struggle with is this idea, this disease that is so prevalent amongst our people and does great harm and costs us all kinds of economic monies. We try to care for people and keep this sickness back. Ah, God is the one who can afflict it, or God is the one who can heal it. 
Again, it all comes back to who has the power, who's in control, who's trustworthy. The Egyptians are called to learn again and again, God is God, not Ra, not Pharaoh, and the way that they're treating God's people they should repent and turn away from, and they won't ever ultimately learn that lesson, will they? It's a sign to the Egyptians and that they should learn to trust God, although they don't. And it's a sign to Moses. You see, Moses' objections, as he keeps going back and forth with God, he's very focused on the externals. I'm not very good at speech. Uh, the people don't trust my leadership. Look what happened 40 years ago. I tried to do this. I tried to be their redeemer, and they rejected me. Uh, everything that Moses has been arguing and saying to this point, again, he's looking at the externals. If we look at the Hebrew and we see the way that it's actually translated, uh, again, God commands him, put your hand in your bosom, put your hand over your heart. Moses would have reached inside of himself, and as he revealed what was inside of himself, what would he see? Uh, leprous, skin disease, struggling. You see, Moses' real problem, Moses' real struggle, uh, it's not all these things externally. These aren't the things that are actually a, a hindrance to him carrying out the calling. But Moses had to have a confrontation with his own heart himself. He had to see that inside of my heart, inside of me, ah, uh, I have a contagion. I have a contagion that can only be healed by who? By God. You see, God is the one that could see into the heart of Moses, his real issues, his real struggles, even more so than Moses can see. But he also shows Moses in immediately going through and healing it that he is the one who can heal the contagion within. It's a sign to both Egypt and a sign to Moses. Finally, the blood. Again, we kind of already have mentioned it, but Egypt was completely dependent uh, upon the Nile River. I'm totally going to mispronounce the name, uh, but they referred to the Nile River, I believe, as the god Nephah. Nephah. Uh, lots of different ways that are not how to properly pronounce it. But they worshipped the Nile itself as a river. Because, again, the way the flooding season would come, uh, it would come through and it would cleanse the water. So it was the source of water. Uh, the animals that it would bring, whether it was the crocodiles or whether it was the birds that would uh, live in the water, it was a major source of their uh, food that they would eat. Uh, the, the fertile land that surrounded the Nile River, it allowed them to be incredibly uh, really good farmers. It was very fertile land. Everything, their existence, was dependent upon the Nile River. If something were to happen to the Nile, life itself in Egypt would be threatened. Life itself in Egypt wouldn't go on the way that it always had. And God shows, you think the Nile gives you life, but look who has power over the Nile. Again, in many ways, these signs, Moses is calling the Egyptians again and again to repent, to turn away from their evil acts, to look to the one who is truly God. And they don't get that lesson. But the lesson to the Egyptians is God is the one that should be trusted, not your false gods that you believe. And the lesson to Moses is this, and I'm going to quote directly this Old Testament scholar named Alec Motyer. He says this, in all of his acknowledged weaknesses, fears, inabilities, and hesitancies, Moses could overmaster Egypt 
by acting in obedience to the Lord's word. Again, Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at the time, Egypt who was ruled by the most powerful man in the world at that time, simply could be overcome by one man's act of obedience to the word of God. The signs, they function, uh, they're closely related to the thing that they signify, and the main thing that they were uh, meant to accomplish is number one, to the Egyptians be a threat, and to Moses be an encouragement. Moses, you can trust me. Those that you fear, the Egyptians, and what they can do to you, don't you see? I have power over them. They have nothing on me. You can trust me. And I think, again, if we look at our own life, I believe each and every single one of us in our own ways, there have been times God has called us to do something hard. What God has called Moses to do is incredibly difficult, incredibly hard, and I'm not saying God has called any of us to go, um, let's say, directly go and confront Donald Trump on sin, yeah? Um, but, but he did call Moses to do that, and he does call us to do other things, does he not? Uh, God calls us to do hard things. And so, I would ask you this, what hard thing do you believe God is calling you to do? Where do you need to trust the Lord? It could be uh, confessing some secret sin that you've been holding on. It could be having a hard conversation with somebody uh, that you really don't want to. Hey, we talk about this a lot, guys, but I'm going to keep bringing it to our attention. We're a young church, and we're trying to grow. Maybe it's talking to our neighbor, our coworker, our family members, whoever it is. Hey, we have a great God that we serve. His name is Jesus, and I would love to talk with you about him. Or maybe if you're not willing to do that, maybe it's just, hey, would you be willing to come check out my church? We have something that we want to share with you. Each of us in our own ways, in our own times, God calls us to do hard things. The people of God back in the time when they see the story of Moses, who felt incredibly uh, inadequate, incredibly incompetent when it comes to the task that God was calling him to, they would have been encouraged. Uh, our leader struggles, but he learned this lesson the hard way. God is trustworthy. Can I learn it the easy way? God is trustworthy. And even though he may call me to do something hard, even though he may call me to do something that I really, really don't want to do, uh, I can trust him. So often our obedience, it's not about us. It's not about our competencies. It's not about how good we are or whatever that. It's a matter of simply trusting the Lord. And we show the Lord that we trust him by following him in obedience. And so that's the second point we're going to look at. And I think we see this mostly uh, really in the second half of this passage, verses 10 through 17. So, uh, in verses 10 through 13, Moses kind of makes one more final attempt. He tries to reason with God. Um, well, listen, God, you know, I'm not the man for the job because I really struggle with my speech, and I need to be confronting Pharaoh, and, you know, you probably want to send somebody who is a really good orator to be able to do this debate with him the way that it's supposed to. And God, you know, he's actually been very patient. 
Up until this point, every time he responds, he actually completely engages with Moses. Listen, I see that you're afraid. I see that you struggle with this. Uh, here, go, let me go ahead and, and give you reasons why. You're afraid about uh, what's going to come out of your mouth and how you're going to sound when you're confronting Pharaoh? Listen, you're afraid when you go back to the people and say, hey, God's called me to uh, be the leader over you guys and follow me as I follow the Lord and as we go do this thing. God says, listen, Moses, who's the one that creates the mouth of man? Who's the one that will give you the words to speak? It's I. Again, it's all about trust anyways, Moses. It's not about how good you are, but can you trust that I will give you what you need when you need it? the words to say to confront in the way that you need to do it. And then the truth comes out. My daughter's three and a half years old, and I think many of you know this, but uh, she actually has a little bit of a speech impediment, and so we have her in speech therapy, and for a long time everybody was saying, hey, we need to get her in uh, preschool, and as soon as she gets in preschool, she's going to be talking, and it's going to fix it. And now Amy and I are kind of wondering, why did we want her to talk so much? Um, because now, you know, uh, she takes up a lot of our time. A lot of our time is talking with our daughter. We actually really, really love it. But one of the things that we end up talking about is when we ask her to do something. Um, my daughter, she is a girl after my own heart, and she tries to argue her way out of it. And so oftentimes, you know, Charlie, I need you to pick up your blocks. Well, why don't I go do something else? And she'll present an argument. I actually want to teach my daughter how to argue well, so I engage her. I'm actually trying to be patient with her, and I say, well, no, because Daddy asked you to do this, and we need to clean up before we go to bed, and we'll have a whole little back and forth until finally Charlie will just come out with the truth, and she'll just say, I don't want to, Daddy. I don't want to. And that's more or less what happens here. You see, Moses has been arguing with God for a while. He's been offering excuse after excuse, and God's been being gracious. He's been being merciful. He's been talking back, Moses, you're afraid of this, but here's why that's not true. You're afraid of this, here's why that's not true. And finally, we get to the heart of the matter. Uh, Moses essentially says uh, in verse, end of verse 13, God, I just don't want to. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. And this is the first time. We actually see that God finally does get frustrated with Moses. Now that the truth comes out, now that Moses is saying essentially, I do not want to be obedient to you, this is what it really comes down to. Uh, we're told in verse 14, the anger of the Lord is kindled against Moses. But notice this, even in God's anger to Moses, he's still merciful uh, again, I, I want to read it to you the way that uh, this Old Testament scholar wrote it because I think he, he captures it so beautifully. Even in his anger, God remembers mercy. As if to say, well, Moses, if you need a prop, I have a prop already on its way for you. If you need Aaron to help you in the way of faith, then you shall have him. It has already been taken care of. The Lord knows our needs before we ask. And even when what we ask is a manifestation of distrust, He still bothers with us and provides for our needs. He is trustworthy, not to be trusted, and He longs to be trusted. This beautiful God is our God forever 
and ever. You see, again, Moses, this whole time, what do I think has been the fundamental issue? What has been the main thing that Moses is struggling with? Well, I think Moses, again, is looking at himself. God has given him this big calling. And Moses is saying, God, are you kidding me? We could look at any one thing Moses has done and say, you know, yeah, Moses is probably not the most qualified person for the job. But then if we look at Moses' life as a whole, I mean, it's almost absurd that Moses should be the one that's going to be God's representation uh, before the people. It's almost absurd. Yet God knows Moses' weakness, and he still calls him anyway. I think I've shared some of this with you guys before. A little over a year into our church plant. And if you were to ask me, what's the hardest part about being a pastor? Sure, I could talk about a lot of different things. I could talk about, you know, uh, I wish maybe there was a few more people in the seats. I could talk about, you know, thinking about money and financial. And fe- I could talk about those things. But if I'm really honest, what's the hardest part about being a pastor? It's that I am intimately aware of my own weakness. I am intimately aware of my own failures. I know that every week I stand up here and I call you to live a life of obedience that I struggle with, that I'm limping right alongside you to do myself. I struggle every single week wanting you guys to be fed, but knowing I'm not the best preacher in the world. Wanting you guys to be cared for, but knowing I'm not the best at follow-through in the world. Knowing all the things that I struggle with, Uh, as a pastor. But God has called me. I believe God does know my weakness, but God has still called me to this job. God knew Moses' weakness. He knew the areas and the ways that Moses struggled, yet He still called Moses to the job that He was doing. So too for us. Again, I think a lot of times we can look at ourselves, and is it not human that we could be our own worst critics? And that makes complete sense because we know the thoughts of our hearts, and we know the ways that we come up short again and again and again. And here's the thing, if we look at our failures, and if we look at the things that we call ourselves, I think we could get caught up in that, and it will certainly lead to despondency. In some way, shape, or form, we're seeing a little bit of that here with Moses. But do you see God's response to Moses? God doesn't actually say, Moses, have a higher self-esteem. Moses, Moses, don't, you know, talk down on yourself. God says, Moses, I will be with you. That's what he says again and again. God, as he is with Moses, will actually call Moses something completely different. You see, the very people that Moses is called to go lead, uh, the one that Moses wrote the book of Exodus to, God is actively in this moment calling them to go do something. He's calling them to march from uh, the wilderness into the promised land, to take the promised land over. And guess who's in the promised land? A whole lot of people. God is saying that they have to go perform this great military campaign, and the only way they're going to get through it is if they can trust the Lord. They're this minor, insignificant slave nation. If they look at what they call themselves, they'll never have the courage they need to do what God has called them to do. But if they look at who God has called them, well, it changes. You see, in Exodus 19, God looks at this slave nation, this people that is nothing, and He says, you 
are my treasured possession. You, to me, are a royal priesthood, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. To Moses, he says, you struggle with speech, but you are going to stand toe-to-toe with the most powerful man in the world, and my people will be set free. You will be my redeemer. You will be my representative. I think we could look at our own life and in our own hearts. We can look at the things that God calls us. You see, when we look in the New Testament, we see that Jesus, He calls us His beloved sons and daughters. Jesus calls us saints. Jesus calls us forgiven, redeemed, beloved of God. Here's how I think we tie some of this up. What do you think is the most discouraging thing about yourself? What's the thing that you struggle with yourself the most? Man, if only I could change that. If only I didn't struggle in this way. If only I didn't do that. What do you believe disqualifies you from serving the Lord? Or put it another way, what do you believe disqualifies you from experiencing the love of the Lord? What names do you call yourself? Don't look to the names that you call yourself, but look to the names God calls you. Because here's the thing, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he wasn't surprised by your failure. He knew it. He went to the cross because of your failure. He went to the cross because of your weakness, and he loves you anyways. And just as he calls this uh, slave nation that frankly was nothing on the map of the world at that time, so too does he call us his treasured possession. And he proves it, that we are his treasure, that we are his beloved by laying down his life. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, well, guys, frankly, it changes everything. It changes the names that we call ourselves. It changes the very identity that we live out of. Moses had to learn this, and it took him some time, but ultimately he learned to trust God, and as we're going to see next week, he will obey he does leave Midian and head towards Egypt. Where do you need to trust the Lord? And where do you need to show God that you actually trust Him by taking steps of obedience? God knows your weakness, but He's called you anyways. Let's pray. God, I am thankful that Scripture is not filled with story after story of people that I look to and say, oh, man, I'm never going to live up to that. But God, Scripture, even the heroes of the faith, God, they're broken and they're strugglers just like me and just like us. And so, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the lives that they have lived before us. I'm thankful that we could read their stories and we can learn and we can be encouraged that, yes, you do call us to do hard things, but we're never truly alone. Yes, you do call us to do hard things, but you will always be with us. Yes, you do call us to do hard things, but you are trustworthy. God, thank you for our failures and thank you for our weaknesses. God, may you use them to show us how much we need you. Lord Jesus, you are good. Thank you that you don't judge me and you don't judge us the way that we judge ourselves, but because of what you have done on our behalf, 
you look at us and you call us your beloved. Jesus, help us to have a heart that loves you. Help us to have a heart that trusts you. And help us to have a heart that responds in obedience to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.